hey, everyone. I am sitting here today with Jillian Penhow. Did I get it right? You got it right. Yeah, yeah. right. Cool. So uh, actually, Jillian and I have been friends for quite a number of years now, and we've done ministry alongside each other, and um, we've lived next to each other, and <laughs> um, it's been quite the experience. So I thought it would be really cool to bring her in to share a little bit about herself and about what she's doing with Created um, in these new days, because it's been such a wild last few years, and <laughs> also to share about herself, her family, and, you know, what they're up to. So, Jillian, would you kindly give us a little, uh, you know, the speech that you give to people when you meet them about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so I am. I'm Jillian Penhalen. I am the director at Created, which Created is a uh, nonprofit that works with women coming out of trafficking and sexual exploitation in Tampa. And I've been the director there in September. It will be seven years. Wow. Um, well, actually, I started on the staff seven years ago. I've been mm -hmm. the director about six years. Um, so that's crazy because it feels like maybe <laughs> like just yesterday, I feel like sometimes. <laughs> um, so we... Uh, you know, we do that work in a lot of different ways. I think it, what I always like to tell people is like created at the end of the day, we're just like a community of women that's trying to create a place of belonging for these women that have been um, exploited and abused mm -hmm. throughout our city. Um, so the main ways that we do that is one through um, outreach programs in which we, we now come like our emergency response side of our organization. So um, we, we run a drop-in center um, on Nebraska Avenue and women can come in and get toiletries, support, clothing, um, and meet with one of our staff team members or a volunteer. Um, and then from there, we can offer housing options. We can help them get into detox. We can help them get into mental health, really whatever that emergency response is needed. Um, so we have we have two different safe housing programs that the women can live in for up to 90 days as they try to figure out what does the next step look like. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also, of course, offer longer-term housing. Um which the women can live in for which women can live in for up to two years as they just go through the steps of recovery, go through life skills, job skills, um, figuring out healing and what that looks like in the future. And so that's really what Created does. And then, like I said, I've been with Created for seven years. And I think for me, what brought me to Created was really um, at the time. So I have my um, my background is in the nonprofit world. I worked for a larger nonprofit for to created and I, I have my master's in nonprofit management. And so I think through that I learned like I want to be somewhere where like I you want to be able to be doing all the things. Like I don't yeah. want to be in a bureaucratic environment. So that's something I was looking for. And then on the other side, like maybe the more intentional side, I've just always been really passionate about women's issues and feeling like um and what I learned about um sexual exploitation in the context of Tampa. So for those who don't know, Tampa is third in the nation for the number of women who are brought into the U.S. for the purposes of tra sexual trafficking. And then we also, um, th people say that we have more strip clubs per capita than any other city in the U.S. And then we also, there was a study done actually only about two years ago um, by the Polaris Project where we're third in the nation for the amount of illicit massage parlors in a city. So it's definitely wow. a huge thing happening in Tampa. And I think um, when I started to learn about that and just knowing that um, women are being treated as commodities, like that, that's what brought me to create it, of just like wanting to do something about that and wanting to see like how we could create change. And I think I went into it with the mentality of like, how can we fix this problem? Oh and then very quickly learned like, okay, you know what? Like at the end of the day, these women need the thing, same things that I need, which is just a place of belonging. Mm -hmm. So it's really created as more of a community than anything else. Yeah. We're just creating belonging. And yeah, of course we have programs that are helping people and we're like making those steps, but it's like at the end of the day, they just want, they just need the same things that everybody needs. And so right. I think that's what I've learned the most through created is just like, you know, we, we're all, we're all in the need of the same love and belonging. And of course we are a faith-based organization and, you know, just the opportunity to meet God and like, let him heal like what's happened. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, what a great realization when you come to the point where you realize that it's just about belonging, um, which we all need, which I think, you know, 
the brokenness that's in people often looks different. And so, you know, the, the workaholic that is, you know, never home 80 hours a week who, you know, on the surface has a beautiful home and money in the bank. So mm-hmm. people think he has it together. Or she has it together. And rather, it's just a sense of running from the pain that they feel inside of them yeah. because they don't feel like they belong. So they feel like they need to earn their belonging and they do it through work or yeah whatever it might be, but the, the brokenness that's in each one of us um, often is shown through our lack of belonging. Yeah. And that realization that, um, you know, that's all people need when I, you know, doing the Timothy initiative with, you know, broken men coming together to do life together in community uh, is a lot easier than we need to fix everybody because, you know, generally speaking, people don't need to be fixed. They just need a, a better way of, of living. So that's awesome. It's beautifully said. How long has Created been around now? So Created's been in Tampa for 13 years. Yeah. And it really just started as an outreach ministry. So the first thing that Created ever did was just um, street outreach. So going mm-hmm. out to women that are in street prostitution and offering them gifts. And then everything, the thing I love about the story of Created, which I mean is similar to Timothy Initiative and, and other things, is like everything that we've, any way that we've grown has come out of the next needs of the women. So it's mm-hmm. like we are, it's just being able to hear and see what the need is and then kind of growing from there. And that's one thing I love because it's not like we're trying to create, we're just, we're not just creating programs. Like there's actual right, right. voices and people behind everything that we do. Let me ask you this. Um, you know this, and maybe most people don't, but donors like programs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because it's nice and tidy. It's Statistics, yes. Yes, <laughs> metrics, statistics. And it's just so, I don't want to say annoying, but it's annoying because it's like it does, often doesn't even have anything to do with the people we're trying mm-hmm. to serve. It just looks on paper like it's doing yeah. something. So how do you juggle that with your donors? Uh, that's a really good question. So I think, uh, and I have, I think as a director, like I've struggled with that of like, cause you want to like give people the information that they're seeking. And it's also like, you want them to feel confident that you're doing the work because sure. we know like our team, like we know that we are working <laughs> ourselves to death, trying to, um, you know, cultivate this space for women. But yeah, I think for me, so one of the things that happened, actually the previous director of created, um, Keisha Polonio. So she and I, um, and our team at the time sat down and we came up with these metrics of, you know, what are the things that at the end of the day, we want to be able to say like this happened at created. And so we kind of share that concept with our donors. It doesn't make sense to everyone, but we do. <laughs> and so one is, uh, so our three metrics are like, did she meet Jesus while she was here? Like, did she encounter God in some way? Mm-hmm. Did she leave the sex industry? And then three, did she go and make disciples? Mm-hmm. And so that's something that we've even started, we even use on our own staff teaming, like because we're working in a recovery space, obviously relapse happens. And so even when we're debriefing that, we can ask ourselves those questions and gonna, say, like, I'm steal did that. those, like, did these things happen? <laughs> yeah. So that's helpful to me because I think it keeps me grounded when mm-hmm. I'm in the world of like statistics, statistics. And then of course, I mean, like, cause yeah, it's not hard for us to record how many people walk into our drop-in center, how many people get a bed. Um, but I think more than anything, I try to cultivate story mm-hmm. to be able to tell our donors. And it's like, okay, you might want to hear a number, but actually let me just tell you this one story that happened. Mm. Um, of course, you know, respecting privacy of any of the women, but, um, so we use story a lot and that's something that I've learned through just different coaches and stuff with fundraising is just telling stories, Mm. um, is really going to make the most impact anyway. Like people, people think they just want to hear like the big numbers, but also with created. And I mean, with, I'm I'm sure it, especially in the recovery space, Mm -hmm. like you're not going to get insane numbers because the reality is. You're building trust with people that have been so broken down and like so um, just misused. And so they Mm -hmm. don't have they don't trust anybody. So even within our drop in center, the statistic is that it takes seven Mm -hmm. to eight times for someone to even come through the door before they even start to talk to our team. Wow. So it's not. And I think the perception of the outside community when they hear about human trafficking is like, well, of course, all the women just are banging on your door trying to get out. Yeah. 
No, like it's it's psychological manipulation. Like they're not they're not they're not doing that because like they're mm-hmm. stuck and they have to figure out how like they have to be able to make that choice in some way. And so it is. It's a lot of so we we kind of share those stories as a way of like trying to explain like you know you're not going to see crazy numbers from creative yeah, because it takes yeah. time. And even once somebody comes into our house, like people, one of the questions we always get that I that makes me struggle is people ask well what's your graduation rate oh my goodness i hit that one and i'm like (laughs) maybe one or two people a year because what they're not seeing is it actually it's multiple times that they're coming in so Mm -hmm. it could be over four years that like they come in and they come out but then they finally it finally sticks and now maybe they have two years clean Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's about a person and so those people so, yeah, no, it's not going to be like, oh, yeah, we had 15 graduations this year. It's like, no, we had maybe two, but maybe 20 women came into the sanctuary. Right, and, right. you know, they're all in their process. And so I think it's hard to explain, like, recovery and healing, and especially in healing from deep trauma, is a process. Yeah. And it's not pretty. Right. You know? No, not at all. And, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, a few years back, I finally had to create a graduation ceremony just mm-hmm. because I'm like, I'm doing this simply because we need to get funding. Yeah. <laughs> I, and we don't have a graduation because it's life on life. It's uh, recovery. So that means it's the rest of your life. Yeah. So what are you graduating from, really? So yeah. we literally created a graduation just because that's what people will give to. Yeah, yeah. You know, and... Um, mm-hmm. Which is, it's sometimes it feels like you got to jump through hoops in order to get the results that you need to get. And you do, you play the game and hopefully play it well. And I have to say, you've played it much better than I have. (laughs) Um, I've always been like, I don't know. How does created raise money? I I don't know. We don't raise any. We just suck (laughs) at this. (laughs) Well, I do. I think, I think what I've learned is really a story. Yeah. Story. So tell me a recent story. I honestly, you know, for so many years, I was directly, you know, connected with created, you know, and and I should be now still because it's very close to me proximity wise, but I don't know any recent stories. Yeah. So, um, well, I'll tell one from our, so in the beginning, so I mentioned Created's been around for 13 years. In the beginning, so we were street outreach, and then we opened, the first thing we opened was the long-term home, the sanctuary. Um, So it started as a one-year program. Now women can live there for up to two years. And for probably the first seven to eight years of created story. Like those were the two main things that we did. Mm -hmm. And so now in the last four years, we've added in our safe housing programs, which is shorter term housing and then our drop-in center. So I'll tell them from the drop-in center because that's our newest program. Um, And, uh, and something that happened during COVID is that we were able to get some grant funding um, because at that time, I think if you remember back to the beginning of coronavirus, everyone was so worried that it was going to be rampant through the homeless community, mm-hmm. which did not end up happening because nope, they're not did. traveling anywhere. So <laughs> yeah, that everyone thought that it was going to be rampant. So like they're yeah. so worried about like the women that are out on the street. And so the city and the county had put these programs together where nonprofits could p- put people in um, extended stay hotels. Yep. Yeah. And so we were able to get some of that funding. I mean, we only got 10 beds. Like other nonprofits had like 100 beds. We got 10, though. So we were really happy with that. And um, so we were able to start like immediately. Like if someone came into the drop-in center, we'd be like, hey, do you want a bed tonight? Mm-hmm. And put them in immediately. As long as they passed the drug screen and didn't have any like current mental health concerns. Um, <laughs> so uh, which that's pretty much our only if you're wondering like, well, what what does it take for somebody to get into created? That's really the only thing like to be able to sleep in a bed. You have to be able to pass a drug screen. If you don't, we'll get you into detox and then you'll get the bed after that. But um, this so, is true. I've actually yeah. put people in there that had mental health issues and it didn't work out so well. Yeah. Yeah. But and we try to get the mental health help. But it just depends on their yeah. willingness. Um, and so. Yeah, so we were able to start that. And honestly, going into that, we were super worried because we were like, what is it going to look like to put someone that's been exploited um, throughout the city into a hotel? Like, is that going to be a good environment for them? How is that going to work? And we actually learned that it does work. And so um, we've been able to keep funding for that program going. And so we still have that now. So we have we can put women in hotels. We try to keep it only for five days (laughs) um, because within that five days, we kind of know, like, are they really ready? Yeah to pursue this and if they're not then we can just like help them exit into something safe uh, or semi-safe or really what they want 
Um, and if they are ready, then we can put them into some of our longer programs or get them into another program in the city. Um, so at our drop-in center, we um, we actually opened it February of 2020, right before the oh, coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we've been running, if you're familiar with Created, we it's the clothing boutique that's on Nebraska. We've been running a clothing boutique for the like eight years that we've mm-hmm. been on that property. And even eight years ago, we started realizing that the majority of people that were coming in were women who are looking for services. And then especially once they realized that it was created, they were coming in and asking questions. So we've always had that. So the women who um, we employ in the boutique have always given out like gift bags, always make sure we're giving out resources. But we really, but I think about, about two and a half years ago, we were like, man, this is like, this could actually be such an intentional outreach and we're not, we're not utilizing it. So that's when we transferred it over to a drop-in center. And so in the drop-in center, like I mentioned, women can come in and get, really we offer toiletries, clothing, and then they can do support. We're trying to add in more classes and things like that that they can partake in. Um, but also sort of one um, one girl who, who came in. And so um, I'll just call her Ashley for now um, because people probably would know her if you work around this area. <laughs> um, so she has been coming in our drop-in center like since we opened weekly. Um, she actually is someone that we've been serving on street outreach for a long time. Um, she grew up in the foster care system and her mom was working in prostitution and being trafficked. And so she would always run from her foster home and go look for her mom. So that's how she also ended up in the same situation. Um, and a lot of people don't realize, like when I talk about street prostitution, the average age of entry into prostitution is 13 years old. So when you are passing women on Nebraska and you think, oh, they're choosing to be out here. It's like, what really is choice? Yeah. You know, when it started that age. And also most of those women actually do have a pimp and they do have a trafficker um, from the stories that we know. Um, and so she comes in pretty regularly. Um, she does have something that she's working for. And sometimes he'll stand on the corner, like outside of our drop-in center, because we don't allow men in our drop-in center. Well, that's um, good. Because it creates a safe space. Yeah. Because we actually do have, we've had maybe three or four times now that a woman actually runs in trying to get away from somebody and we have a protocol where we just go into lockdown and mm-hmm. like put her into the house and then close everything down until we can exit her wow. um, into safe housing. Um, and so, but with this girl, Ashley, um, she comes in pretty regularly and for a while. Um, and of course, and she struggles with substance abuse. So she'll come in like yeah. in all kinds of, in all sorts of ways. Um, but she's one of the first ones too, that, um, when she was coming in so often, one of our one of our women who work in the boutique was like, man, don't you feel like she's taking advantage because she's just getting new clothes every day? And I was like, well, why don't you ask her? Like, why yeah. do you need new clothes every day? And she told them, you know, well, I run every night. Like, once I get picked up, I run from the motel because if I stay, like, I could die. Yeah. So I run and I leave whatever I have. And so yeah. I just come here the next morning and I get a change of clothes because she will she'll just, she'll just change right there and then go back out. Um. And so we've known her for a long time and we've always offered emergency housing. She's always been like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So at Thanksgiving, we did a meal and she came that day and she had probably like three or four plates of food and just kept eating. And while she was eating, our team was sitting there and they were, and she was just like, man, I'm ready. I'm ready today. And we're like, well, what does that mean? That mean? Like, what are you ready for? And she was like, I'm going to take a bed tonight. And we're like, okay. Yeah. So we, um, so our team just like, got her bed, figured it out. Mm -hmm. And as our case manager was driving her out to where she was going to be staying for safe housing, um, she told this story where she was like, man, my mind is like, she was just telling her like, man, my mind is being blown right now. And the case manager was like, about what? And she was like, I've been the, she called him her boyfriend, but it's this, it was Pimp Mm -hmm. and he has like four girls. And um, he was like, we've all been so happy, like think that he loves us so much because he got us pallets that we've been sleeping on in the street. And mm-hmm. so there's like this little area near created where they've been sleeping on pallets on the street. And she was like, and I felt so loved because of this pallet, but now I'm actually going to a bed. Yeah. And like, my mind is just like racing because like, man, I really am like, you know, she was just basically trying to explain like, man, I really am like being tricked, you know, that like, I think that yeah. this is so great, but there's actually, I could actually live a normal life or I yeah. could actually live in a bed or I could sleep in a bed. And so that's just one story from a drop-in center. So like, and how, and that's also shows like how our programs work together. Like, yeah, we're offering outreach, but it's like, we also have a follow-up. But it's like, yeah, yeah, but you can also get a bed. 
Yeah. And you can have somewhere to sleep. And then if that works out, you can move into longer term care. So from our safe housing programs, women kind of take two routes where one is we help them get into something like our two year program um, or we help them get into inpatient treatment somewhere in the city if that's what they need. Or um, we also have women who like they just really need to stabilize, get a job and then get independent housing. So we kind of have everyone do both of those options. Yeah. Well, and you, um, when, I mean, when I first was introduced to Created, it was right in the very beginning, it was, you know, right at the 13 mm-hmm. years, and uh, no one was doing anything like this. Right. Yeah. So, you know, for years it was like that. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, I'd mentioned Created, and people would be like, what? Yeah. But there seems to be more people entering the game mm-hmm. now of helping in this area. Is that the case? And is there anybody that is doing something similar to you? Yeah, there is. I think um, I always say that too, like 13 years ago when Created started, it was really on like the forefront of what people call the anti-trafficking movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And even like the founding team of Created, like they didn't really even understand human trafficking as much, you know, like they felt like, man, yeah, women are being, women are being sold on our streets and we want to do something about it. And then as they met the women and heard the stories, they realized, oh, they're also victims of trafficking. Like, it's so interesting how like we grew with that, but then around us, this like anti-trafficking movement also started. And so there are, um, throughout the city, there are there are multiple churches that have teams that go out and do like different outreaches in the city. Mm-hmm. So particularly going into strip clubs and offering gifts is a really popular one. Um, there are a couple housing programs um, similar to created that have started housing women who have been trafficked. Um, but we're the only one currently open in Hillsborough County. Um, and also we're the only one that serves women of all ages. So a lot of them, the, they operate off of grant funding and that mm. limits like the age range that right. they can serve. Um, for some reason, a lot of the grants only want to serve women from 18 to 25. Um, really? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know why, but, um, and so we're the only one that will serve women of all ages because the reality is when we're working with them on the street, it's like people always assume that we're working with younger women, but we have women that are in their forties, fifties, sixties that like this, they've been, it, their story is that story of this started when I was 13 years old. So it's 50 yeah. years on the street. Like mm-hmm. that is, that is so much trauma to work through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, so there are, and, and I think the other good thing too, is there's also been, cause I always say like, um, created's really good at doing like the on the ground, like grassroots stuff, but we're not great at like the advocacy part of it. So there's also so many advocacy organizations that have started that are working on changing laws and working on educating everyone in the city. Like that's not really our Mm -hmm. strong point. Um, But we love working with all the organizations that do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a, it's good. Like you have many pieces to, yeah. to fill it because the advocacy part, you can't, you can't do everything and do totally. it all well. Yeah. yeah. Agree. So what would you say is the number one challenge you face trying to help the women? Would it be the men in their lives? Would it be the donors that don't give? What would it be? Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably so in, in two different ways. So I think organizationally our biggest challenge is, I mean, One, it is funding, but then also like bed space because the need is more than we usually have beds for. Um, And then for the women specifically, the biggest challenge is that there's no quick fixes to the the trauma and the addiction part. You know, Mm. there's no quick fixes. It's a long game. And I think that's the, that's what also is also so hard for everyone outside of created to understand. So it kind of goes back to the even statistics question. It's like, it's a long journey that Mm. these women are entering into. And so for us, um, it's trying to make sure we have that support service. But the biggest issue that we consistently see is that, you know, we can, while they're, while they're in our housing and while they like kind of have that community support, it's like they can, they can keep it going, but it is like the relationships with men and knowing how to find like a safe partner and knowing and not being like lured back in to like these unhealthy relationships with men is the biggest long-term challenge that we face because there's just, 
it's personal choice at the end of the day. And there's right. nothing we could, and it's like, there's not a lot we can do about it. I mean, we can educate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's always, I feel like for us, when we have, that's probably the most common thing that we see when women um, relapse or go back out, which is what we say when they go back into um, prostitution, um, would be that like, they've entered back into some un, like some unhealthy yeah. relationship, which is, I mean, it's common across the addiction community that sure. like relationships lead to yeah. that a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that I think, I think like the actual like long-term healing, that's mm-hmm. the biggest challenge is like healthy relationships and how to cultivate those. Um, but organizationally, definitely funding, um, definitely just like, you know, we're still a pretty small team. (laughs) So it's like there's, and it's like, especially when we're adding in programs, it's like, I also think like um, always scaling right and like knowing like what to add next and what to do next, um, which you need funding to add things. So I can think of like a hundred things that we could start doing, (laughs) but it's like knowing what's next and then how to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that's the challenge. It's like, how do you balance, uh, you know, limited resources and, Big ideas. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah. and an a insurmountable problem that's mm-hmm. staring at you. It's a, it is because if you put too much effort of the limited resources that you have into the wrong program, yeah, it really ends up backfiring. Yeah. for a long period totally. of time. Yeah, and that's even uh, even within creative history. And not that I would say that it was the wrong choice, but for so long we only had the sanctuary program. Mm-hmm which is limited in its capacity. And so we put so much effort into that other than our outreach programs. And now I feel like we're kind of turning that because Mm -hmm. by actually adding more staff to be able to take on the outreach side of it, we've been able to increase our impact. Yeah. Um, Because in the sanctuary home, we can only house nine women. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's it at the end of the day. Um, But through our outreaches and through the drop in and emergency housing, it's like we've been able to like we now serve um, 89 women a week through our programs. And so but that's only through like pivoting Mm -hmm. and saying like, okay, like this program's good. We know we need this number of staff here. But like what else needs to be happening in the city to make to like be able to impact the most women? I think that's where my heart is always is like, okay. We know that there's countless women that we haven't met yet. So what are we doing to meet the next woman that sure. needs to know that there's an option, you know? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's mm-hmm. uh, a really great way to, to look at it. How are the, when you, the women first come in, they've had this severe trauma, you know, childhood mm-hmm. into their adults. How are they with receiving Jesus? It's, it, it definitely varies. I would say, so one thing that um, we always say too is like, we, which I'm sure most people are not, but we are definitely not forceful in our like approach of trying to get them to encounter Jesus. And even in our intake, like when they're applying to come in our programs, make sure, we make sure they know like this is a faith based organization. So, mm-hmm. you know, there will be times where people are doing prayers. There will be times where <laughs> we're doing Bible study. People will go and attend church, but we're never going to force you to do it. Right. And I think that's a big thing is like it has to be like one of our core values is empowerment because they have to be empowered to make that choice themselves. Mm-hmm. And also, which um, I think was created a, a, again, like if you think back at the trauma that they've endured, mm-hmm. um, being um, like uh, like performative is like really common. <laughs> and so like, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of times when women come into our program, they're like, Oh, you're faith based. You want me to pretend to be a Christian? Okay, I'll pretend to be a Christian, yeah. and like mm-hmm. that's what I'll do, and I'll I'll get by and whatever because they're trying to be what we they think we want them to be, mm-hmm. and so that's a constant conversation that we have to break down. Um, and then a lot of our women do have abuse that happened in the church, yeah, and they also have pastors that have been their abusers or been their Johns, and so it's it's a it's a it, there's a just already coming in just a mistrust sure. of church for a lot of the women. Um, but at the same time, I feel like they're very open because they're all seeking something. Sure. And they're all seeking, like, to know that there's, like, a purpose that can come out of what's happened. And so I think, like, for us, it's, like, that's what we're taking them towards. And so, like, they're usually – we actually find that they're really pretty open. But we – I think for our staff, it's, like – we worry more about like being making sure we're careful and how we're mm-hmm. presenting it. So they don't feel like you have to do this. Like you right. have to be, you have to be this person. But I do find that like a lot of the women, like they're just, they're just seeking 
they're seeking understanding. And I think once they start encountering Jesus, it starts like, and they start to feel mm-hmm. at least some peace or some something. Yeah. Um, it does. It makes the whole healing. I feel like that really starts a lot of the healing process yeah. for them. Um, so yeah, I find that most of them are pretty open. Um, but again, it's like, we always have to contradict that. of like, but are they like, or is it yeah, or well, is it true and yeah. i and i hopefully we can get them to we can get the women feel like they can be honest with us about that um but that's definitely a concern that we have and it is something that like i mean as creed like we don't we don't ever force it like they don't like on sundays like we want them to find a church home but they can they have to attend either they can either attend a recovery group or a church you sure. know so it's like they we're trying to, to make sure that it's an option mm-hmm. always uh, let me this just off the mm-hmm. off the path of the questions I had, but this past year and a half, the political nature of this world went freaking bananas, um, crazy, outright ludicrous. So Christianity at the center of it yeah. all, and uh, you know the the big divide that's happened. Mm-hmm. Did that go into? created as in, I mean, it gave a lot of the people that we work with or I work Mm -hmm. with or my own personal beliefs, a lot of reasons to not trust the church. Yeah. So how did it impact you? Yeah. I think the biggest impact through um, all the political thing for us was um, if you remember all the QAnon conspiracies Mm -hmm. were very centered on human trafficking Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's just, I think the biggest challenge that I had was, you know, human trafficking is already horrific. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to, like, these stories don't make it. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, you don't have to make up things to make it horrific. It's already <laughs> like, bad. it's already horrific, Why you know. Yeah. Why lie? And then it's also that the stories that are being told are not actually the experiences. And so I feel like they're start I think the biggest frustration is through these, you know, theories, you know, that were being put out, you know, that um it's it was really telling the story of like people being kidnapped and then taken somewhere and and people um like people just walking through the mall and being kidnapped and approached by traffickers. Yeah, and, yeah. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. Or has but it. I am saying that um, I think actually a friend of mine who runs another an, or a similar, an organization that works with minors, we were at an event together and she said something along the lines of like, that can happen. But 99.5% of the victims that we work with, mm-hmm. it was a relative or someone that they know that they began abusing them and then trafficking them. That's so true. it's like for me, it's more of like, I think the biggest impact of created was like, okay how do we like how do we tell the truth about this because it's like yeah what you're saying i I guess it could happen like i'm not saying like like you don't want to be like no that could never happen because you know anything could happen yeah right but it's just like but how i think the biggest challenge was like how do we continue to advocate like that's not the story here that's not what happens in tampa because for me it's like that gives everyone an out Mm-hmm. That like, oh, it's only going to be kidnappers. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. only going to be like we're putting on this image that like traffickers are these like kidnappers that come in the night and steal children. <laughs> no. I don't mean that. Tra- like, but it it's, just but sounded it's true. It's just like, crazy. no, it's like for a lot of women, it was her boyfriend. Yeah. It was her father. It was her grandfather. And so it's like. If for me, I think the biggest challenge became like, how do we continue to be honest about the stories that we see mm-hmm. versus what's being portrayed. Right. And so that that was hard. Um, I think besides that, I think we didn't really have a lot of impact. And honestly... Um, well, that's big enough. Yeah, but our I think besides that, like, our women probably are not very political because they're not paying attention to what's going yeah. on around them. Well, As you much. actually... That's some do, some do, but yeah. That <laughs> yeah. was actually the part that I was, was talking sure. about. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The so that was what so. it was. And it was hard because I think... You know, for me, like, I always want to be very careful with what I'm saying because I don't want to, you know, you know, you don't ever want to, like, try to make somebody not want to be involved in your organization. Right. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, the truth that I have to tell is the truth of the women that we serve. Right. And that's what I am obligated to. I'm not obligated to everybody else's political beliefs, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think I always have to remind myself of that, of, like, my job is to advocate for what the women need and what they experience and what is true. Mm -hmm. And just because you've heard this theory or you read this article or something like that doesn't make that true. Right. Um, so that's probably, that's been the hardest part. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's interesting how um, our minds are shaped by you know the information that is taken in, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's reflecting reality at yeah, all. Yeah. And I th- um, I'm in the middle of working on a on a book and you know, to really try to change the way the world looks at recovery around mm-hmm. addiction, mental health, and suicidal thoughts. And and most of it is trying to break these ideas that people have that are just simply not yeah. true or certainly not the the majority yeah. of, of experiences, you know, such as person becomes an addict because they choose to. Yeah. Okay, that's absolutely... 99.9 not true yeah um, but people think that and then therefore they don't want to help people mm-hmm. because their whole reasoning is well they chose that and so it's like well let's we have to we have to look at the core of why something is the problem mm-hmm. before we can build out the answer to how to you know alleviate the problem and a big area for me is trying to bring awareness to trauma. So it's so, you know, awesome that you brought that up many times uh, so far where uh, there's, uh, you know, a new movement coming out there. It's like trying to make a more trauma informed society. Yeah, because it's until we understand trauma at a deeper level, until we understand that even trauma um, isn't necessarily somebody being kidnapped Mm -hmm. or, you know, in a gunfight or all these major things that are certainly trauma, but the majority of trauma that actually affects people is a much subtler thing. The boyfriend that mm-hmm. that takes the woman, it's no, she wasn't kidnapped. It was the boyfriend mm-hmm. who did it to her. And that trauma, yeah. that's still a trauma. So, and, and even by definition, trauma isn't, you know, necessarily the event that happened. It's the way that the event is perceived within the individual. Yeah. And people perceive things differently. And we need to have a better understanding of that if we want to help those on the margins, if we want to help those that are certainly the most broken around us. And even if we want our own lives to be better, because it's probably trauma that's driving some of us that we don't even know about. Yeah, I actually think a good example of that within um, the world of like trafficking and sexual exploitation, the most common outreach that we get questions about that, well, I mean, like I already explained, we get the questions about street prostitution and women choosing to be there, but with strip clubs because they're legal, mm-hmm. people are always like, "Oh, well, all the, the like the like the the story that I feel like is told to society is that these girls are in there because they're just paying off their college tuition." Like mm-hmm. that's like that's what I hear the most often from everyone else around me. Um, an organization that's over in Kentucky did a research study in the clubs that they were going into, and they found that 96% of the women that were working in the clubs um, responded to a question saying that, yes, they were sexually abused as children. Yep. So trauma is impacting those decisions. Yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. So it's like even if someone is doing it for money or it's been glamorized to them um, so that they can, you know, that that's a way they can make money and pay off school, which, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe is something that's happening. There's also a story behind that. And there's also, like, that's not also what we see. It's not just... 18-year-old girls paying off their college education. Right. It's We have women that have been working there for 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. you know? And so, but I think that's one of the common things we hear too, where it's like, oh, well, this is a choice. Right. Well, it's like, yeah, you can break it down to that, mm-hmm. but there's reasons people make that choice and that's the trauma. Sure. You know? Yeah, I guess that's a good way to look yeah. at it. It's like, yeah, you can break it down to that. Of course mm-hmm. it was a choice. Yeah. Why did they feel that yeah. was the and choice? And is to that make? even choice if they think that's right. the only option? Like I always say for for the women that we're working with, like if they were taught from a very young age that their body is to be used for sex, what what they don't have the option to make other choices mm-hmm. because nobody's teaching them that it's not. Right. Right. So then when they go and make that choice to work in a strip club, they're just doing what they've already been taught. So mm-hmm. like what is choice, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you know, what is choice is um, something that is so deep that I, I don't think most people really want to spend mm-hmm. the time to, to think it through. Yeah. And, you know, that same, te- I don't know if it was the same, you know, um, thing that was done out of Kentucky, but basically they've proven that of people that are in hardcore addiction, so all people that all the people that go through trauma don't necessarily become addicts, but all people in hardcore addiction did go through trauma. So it, 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 there is a correlation that is very one-to-one where, you know, if you're an intravenous drug user, you went through tra- childhood trauma. 
you may not even know it. You may not even realize it because a lot of it happened between, you know, birth to five years old. So you may think, you know, from five years old on, you were fine. And so it couldn't be that, but you don't realize what happened as, mm-hmm. as a infant or as a small child because you blocked it out of your own mind. And that leads people that are going into prostitution or addiction thinking that they must be evil. They must be bad. It must because, be their fault. Yeah, yeah. because mm-hmm. my childhood was fine. Mm-hmm. It was like, meanwhile, you yeah. don't know about the babysitter that, at yeah. one, you know, a year yeah. and a half old, that what they did to you or, yeah. you know, the different things mm-hmm. that could have happened in your home between your parents, whatnot. And that is, so it's almost like, you know, the, the biggest lie that keeps uh, perpetuating itself throughout the individual's life. And it's such a sad, sad yeah. thing. So let's get to you. How are you doing spiritually? <laughs> I'm good. Um, they, yeah, that was uh, fake. I'm good. Um, it's hard. <laughs> I mean, like this work is hard. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things where it's like, uh, for me, I think spiritually it's created. I was actually talking about this with one of my staff members yesterday. It's like to work at created, you will, and I mean, any, I think this would be true for anybody who works with like an actually marginalized population. It will test everything you think about mm. faith in God because you are encountering like death on a daily basis like spiritual death on a daily basis and if if that doesn't make you rethink your entire relationship with the church or with god (laughs) then i don't then like you must just have like i don't know some blinders on blinders yeah yeah so i'm like so for me it's like i do feel like in the past seven years i've just been through like just major highs and major lows with like just with god of just like I think in the beginning, it's, of course, the, like, how does this happen on such a large scale? Mm-hmm. And then so getting to understand what actual free will is and what actually God allows. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's mm-hmm. like always those questions of, like, and then learning how to explain that to the women is, like, such a process. Sure. Um, because they have those same questions of, like, okay, like, like we talked about women being open to Jesus. Well, the most common question we get mm-hmm. is, like, yeah, sure, but God doesn't love me because mm-hmm. if he did, how did this happen? Right. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> like that, that's mm-hmm. a hard question. He does. People are just evil. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so, and he, you know, so that's, so yeah, I think for me, um, it's just like definite highs and lows. And then at the same time, I feel like a lot of times in this work, you know, you feel, and I'm sure again, this is, I know this is true for a lot of people in ministry, but it's just like, there's so many times where you just feel so isolated because mm-hmm. it's like, no, you f- like, I know for me, I think the biggest, the biggest struggle in my faith has been like, why aren't other people like seeing this yeah. and why don't they care? Mm-hmm. You know? And so like, that's given me my own issues with like the church and stuff, which I yeah. think I'm healing from, but it is, it's like, why, like why, you know? And so I think for me um, in my faith, I think it's brought me to a place where it's like, I had to realize that my faith is just that it's mine. And Mm -hmm. so like I cultivate that with God myself. I can't depend on a church community or a, or a pastor or somebody to cultivate my faith. Like I have to be doing that daily or I'm going to burn out Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be able to do this because it is too hard and it is too devastating. Mm -hmm. And then I think also, I mean, for created and, and again, like I'm sure people who work with traumatized communities can attest this secondhand trauma is very real. Yes. So I've had, I've this past year and a half, I've really been dealing with like a lot of really negative effects from secondhand trauma. Um, just after hearing story after story of these uh, like egregious abuses and yeah. things that happen. And so I'm currently in therapy, which is great. Okay. <laughs> I highly recommend therapy. I love therapy. Um, but it's for secondhand trauma because I think for it, 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 it manifests itself in so many ways. And for me, it's like really intrusive thoughts that like these stories I hear just like yeah. replay in my mind. And so it's hard. And I think only through like continuing to cultivate faith, but then also practicing self-care. Mm-hmm. Can you continue? Like I see, yeah. and even on my staff team, like we see so many people burn out or not be able to do it because yeah. it's like you have to build those things in. Um, and it's hard. So I'm like, it's this work is hard. And I mean, spiritually it's hard, you yeah. know? Um, 
So, you know, I think, you know, created has probably brought me to like the darkest places in my life. <laughs> but at the same time, there's like so much, there's still so much hope there. Yeah. So it's like, I do think also I'm like learning, learning to find hope in the midst of it all is like probably the biggest spiritual lesson that created's taught me. <laughs> Yeah, and still <laughs> teaching me because it, it's still it, hard. <laughs> it sounds so depressing in one way. Like, in the darkest times, how do you find hope? That's what it's taught me. It's yeah. Like, Wait a minute. It's pretty hard. But it's, it's pretty there. hard. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's there. It's it's actually very, very well, hard. And I think at the same time, it's like while it is so dark and it is so hard, like I get to daily look at so many stories of resilience mm-hmm. that it's like, okay, if the, if that if this woman can – still function after like what's happened to her like i can i can do this like i can i can keep going you know yeah i um i've actually been Mm -hmm. you know thrust back into the director role over ti um which i had stepped out of for a few years and you know due to things the way they happen in in recovery sometimes people need to kind of step back so Mm -hmm. i'm stepping back in Mm -hmm. and um it's been pretty interesting because it's been such a long time since I've been in that actual role of discipling men, people and leading mm-hmm. and dealing with issues as they come up and things like that. And um, recognizing the growth in myself where, you know, you step away for a few years and come back and you're like, oh, wait, I actually know what I'm talking about now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where probably didn't before, but I've learned over the last 14 years of ministry certain things about the darkest moments yeah. and how to care for yourself and how to continue on even though, you know, everything in you wants to stop. Yeah. And it's a hard thing to do. And I've actually been um, discipling my friend Cole that's actually here with us. And, and I just keep telling him, I'm like, if you don't, get your own solid personal, you know, relationship with Jesus, your own spiritual practices, this will eat you up. Yeah. You totally. won't make it. Well, cause and it's like, if you're doing it, like I've learned and there have been times directing created where like, I am like functioning fully out of self. Yeah. Like, and I crash so hard mm-hmm. and I become so hopeless. Like if you're trying to function out of like, I can do it, I can do it like out of myself and not just like turning to God and at least trying to get refilled. Like it's impossible to like stay, to stay the course, you know? And so I think that's, that's such a huge lesson of like, yeah, it's, it's impossible unless you're Mm -hmm. cultivating that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you cannot continue. Mm -hmm. It's um, ironic. Um, So Julie, my wife just won an award for endurance and leadership Mm -hmm. this past weekend. And, um, so that was just really amazing. She yeah, totally, awesome. totally deserves it. She's totally hardcore and doing amazing things. But it, it brought back the, you know, this um, memory of mine where I actually won the award like back in 2013. And two things occurred to me. One, wow, I'm still going. That's kind of crazy. But then I, the reality is I almost wasn't. Yeah. I crashed the year after I got the award mm-hmm. for endurance. And I almost think the award triggered the endurance yeah. crash because I was like, I don't deserve this. Yeah. And that is when like all of a sudden everything seemed bleak. I was five years in ministry at that point and mm-hmm. the whole world around me just collapsed. I'm like, none of this makes sense. Nothing, you know, I don't know where God is. I can't find God anywhere. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, no resources, no nothing. And I wanted to walk away from everything. And I'm, you know, that's when I entered therapy. Yeah and entered, you know, for the first time going into inner healing and learning about trauma and learning about my own brokenness and how for five years out of self, Mm -hmm. I did this. Yeah. And that was great, but I can't do it anymore. (laughs) So God's like, you either let me in or this is over because for so long, just out of the flesh, you know, when you're trying to run, when ministry is the result of a coping mechanism of something you're trying to hide, you can go for a while. Mm-hmm. And if you're somebody that can excel, you can excel for yeah. a while. But if you're only doing ministry because you are running from your own brokenness that hasn't been healed, you will crash. Yeah. And you will not represent Jesus in the way that he's worthy of being represented. And you and I have seen that yeah. through all the, you know, how many people you and I have seen fail or fall away. Yeah. 
in the years that we've been doing this, just, you know, from the underground and people that we know where ministries just, they're no longer. Yeah. And some people are no longer following Jesus. And you have to wonder, like, how much of that was because they operated out of self for so long and eventually they just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. No. Yeah. Me neither. <laughs> me neither. So yeah. how is your family? Good. Yeah. Yes. Tell me about the husband. Kids. Yes. I have a husband. His name is Paul and he's a social worker. Um, he works with children in foster care. So it's also very hard. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, that's yeah. actually known as the, one yeah, of the hardest. Yeah, it's very jobs. hard. And he's yeah. actually been there for over 10 years now. Wow. So that's a pretty longevity in that, in that field. Um, and then we have three kids. So we have two boys and a girl. They're seven, four, and two. Mm. And so, yes. Um, so, yeah, they're great. Um, yeah, my husband and I, people always ask us, they're like, so you guys both picked jobs that are <laughs> really, and we're like, yeah, I don't think we planned that out. It just happened. It just happened. <laughs> um, but he's passionate about that, too. And um, and I think, again, I think, too, like with like what we're talking about, like with the work that we're doing, the reality is like, as long as God keeps like cultivating that passion in you, like you can sustain, mm-hmm. but you have to like keep you have to like keep going back for that. Yeah, you <laughs> because do. there had that has to be there, or it's not gonna you're not gonna enjoy the work you're doing. You know. Yeah, and I think you should. Yeah. You definitely should enjoy what you do. I mean, yeah. it's it's hard when you're dealing with people that are you know. Yeah, it's not always fun, but yeah, but, yeah. You, but you should feel fulfillment. Yeah, out yeah, of what totally. you're doing, or you're not gonna do and it. Some wrong. joy. Yeah, I, I just gotta. I just think, I always think of your husband, and I always think of when that tree fell on his car. That is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Her, I just got to tell you, I, I wish I had a yes. picture and could show it in the video, but I have one, I think. It, it, literally, his car, a tree, a huge tree that was like, you couldn't even fit your arms and around. Nothing happened, the tree just fell. <laughs> so squarely on top of his car and squished it like you'd see in a cartoon, and it just sat there for days. And I was like, man, Paul, I'm sorry. That yeah, while we, waited, while we waited for insurance. <laughs> I'm like, that's real. I don't, I don't think you can drive that away. <laughs> that was so bad. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, so, um, any plans you and Paul like dream about for your future? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think, um, well, for us, I think right now, I think most of our dreams are really more centered on like, uh, what do we want to cultivate? for our kids and like how are we um like even thinking through like what does like we talked about like what does church look like for our family and how do we want to make sure that our kids are getting some of that and what does that Mm -hmm. so I think that and I think too um I think we so where we live um we're in East Tampa um we in our neighborhood just trying to figure out like okay we want to stay here. How do we cultivate like being good neighbors? How do we? And yeah. I, so I think most of our dreams, I think because both of our jobs or both of our ministry is like so taxing and so hard. It's like, how do we make our neighborhood and like where we come home to feel like a like oasis in the midst of yeah. it? Mm-hmm. And that includes like, you know, creating good relationships with the people around us. Like we love um, in our in like the little area that we're in. Um, like all of our neighbors are, um, these older families that have been there for like generations. And so like, mm-hmm. we're like the only young couple like in the, world, <laughs> in the area. Um, and so like just kind of cultivating relationships with them and making sure that, that, that like they know that we're there to help, um, when they need it. And so I feel like a lot of our dreams kind of center on about like, okay, how do we, how do we make this feel like that? And how do we make that true for our kids too? Cause I think the hardest thing, and you mentioned like workaholic like being a workaholic in the beginning Mm -hmm. and like that is such a like uh fear for me and also something that I have done where Mm -hmm. it's like and I think part of it is like the um the the goal-oriented person that I am like when things are going crazy are created I just like put everything into it and that can that's a sacrifice for my family and so trying to figure out that and I hate the word balance, but that's the only thing I think of right now. But it's like, mm-hmm. okay, how do I not do that so that I'm also cultivating this? And so most of our yeah. dreams kind of center around that. Like, honestly, I feel like because both of us have been in this work and, like, struggling with people for so long, it's like our dreams that we come to together are like, okay, how do we refresh? And how mm-hmm. do we, like, make – but how do we not – put the stress of our work on our children Mm. and so that's pretty much what we talk about (laughs) 
just so you know, <laughs> that, that's, together. that's trauma for your children. Yeah, so exactly, exactly. But, and so it's like, yeah. and that's something like, you know, so we both come from, um, both of our parents were pastors. Yeah. And so we come from that, um, I guess, you know, and I mean, my mom wouldn't mind me saying this, but it's like when we were growing up, like I spent almost every evening at the church. We like we did we did our parent my for me I won't speak for Paul's parents but for me like we did our we did my mom's work with her in a way mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways that that did create that place in me where it's like I want to make sure that like I'm not doing that <laughs> like yeah. I don't want and then she also had to travel a lot for work and so that was that's something that's like I feel like right now where we're at in life like a lot of our dreams around like um spirituality and like ministry together is like really trying to focus in because our work is so hard right or and then again i mean hard is relative but it's just like we're dealing with difficult subjects on a daily yeah. basis mm-hmm. and that can make you so burn out by the time you get home so i feel like most of our dreams are centering around like how do we like deal with that personally and then cultivate and try not to dramatize our kids, which I mean, they're going to be, you know, I'm sure they'll all go (laughs) into counseling. They're going to be dramatized. And then I think for us too, I mean, I think in the future we dream of, I mentioned like he's in the, he's in the um, foster care work and we've always had a dream of like once our kids are growing and out of the house, like fostering teenagers um, because in his work, well in Hillsborough County, if you're not aware, there are, we have, they have the most removals in the state of like children that are removed on a daily basis and put into foster care, um, which that also speaks to a lot of things, but, um, and they, uh, there's not enough beds for the amount of children that are in foster care. So like they have children that go night to night, um, which means they get put in a different home every night. And it's just if people are willing Mm -hmm. to put them in. And so as part of his job, um, when he's on call, he can't really, he can't like go to bed until every child from their agency is put in a bed that night. Really? And so he'll be up till like three o'clock in the morning. So that means these kids are sitting in the office until three o'clock in the morning until they finally get a bed and then they can go to that bed because there's just not wow. enough beds. And a lot of those are teenagers that are difficult to deal with and struggle. And so he's always been really passionate about the teenage population. And when he first started, he's now one of the assistant directors, but when he first started as a case manager, he um, always got the teenage boys because he was one of the only males mm-hmm. on the staff. <laughs> and so they would give him all the teenage boys. And um, and so he's always been really passionate about that. So that's one of our dreams too is like in the future, like we would be totally open to like taking teenagers in um, and planning for that. But we, again, it's like we want to give the wow. space for our children to like mm-hmm. grow. <laughs> our house isn't big enough to fit more kids than we have. But um, And yeah, so I think that's one of our dreams like in the future and like how like maybe in a way that we would want to like do ministry together. Um, cause yeah, that's a passion of his. And then, I mean, you know, our oldest two boys are adopted and mm-hmm. they, um, it actually, the short version of the story, I won't tell the whole story, but, um, their father was actually the first case that Paul was ever given oh, wow. as a caseworker. Yeah. And so that's kind of where that passion kind of started with him of just, you know, cause in that situation, um, he, him and they just had a really good relationship and Paul became like the safe person when he would go to jail or when something yeah. happened, he would call and be like, Hey, I need help. And we actually, our oldest son, when he was born, we used to take like um, pampers and bottles and stuff over to him and, oh. and his mother, um, his birth mom. And so, um, yeah, it was just like a crazy chain of events. So the way that they came to live with us is they called and asked us to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the parents called and asked us. And so, yeah, so that's always just something that's like we're still passionate about. And even before that happened, like we had always thought eventually we would foster children. Mm-hmm. We didn't expect to do it at yeah, that yeah, moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we thought eventually that we would. Um, and so that's something that we still dream about. That's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. So if anybody is keeping score, so Tampa, mm-hmm. our wonderful home city has uh the most strip clubs uh-huh. the most um people that are being trafficked or something mm-hmm. right um no beds for teenage people in the <laughs> yes. foster care system uh and last week we found out that um it is three people a day die of uh, opioid overdose in oh hillsborough county alone Three people a day die in Mm -hmm. Hillsborough County alone. Mm -hmm. It's 50 times higher than the national average. 50 times. So Hillsborough, Mm -hmm. you got some stuff going on that people really need to do something about. 
there's plenty of opportunity to make things better and stop making things worse, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So any parting words as we kind of get ready to wrap up? Anything oh, you want people to know or to do or... Well, I guess what people would know, people ask me that a lot about like when, especially with hearing about the work of created and just human trafficking in Tampa, the biggest question is always like, what do we do? Like, how do we combat that? So, I mean, you know, people can always check out our website to figure out how they can get involved, which is createdwomen.com. But I think it really, to me, I think the biggest thing that people can do, unless you actually feel called to that work, is just like continue telling the story. Mm-hmm of the fact that this is true and this is happening so it's like educate yourself like everything we've talked about it's like educate yourself and then tell the story because that's what changes perception and that's what changes like the thought processes of other people so i always say that's that's the biggest thing you can do to help combat human trafficking is tell the story and tell tell the facts of like what's happening um that's the only way that we create change because still to this day even though like there is even though yes in the church there's been a huge anti-trafficking movement that's not necessarily true of everywhere, and it's still there. I st- we still so commonly have people who like just can't believe it. Yeah, you know, and so the only way that it changes is telling the story. Mm-hmm. I think you know. I think people choose to you know. Speaking of choice, I do think people choose to mm-hmm. believe the story that gives them an out. Yeah, and so you know, it's it's, uh, it's such as you know when in the political environment, everybody you saying all the drugs are coming across the Mexican border, mm-hmm. and we need to build a wall. Meanwhile, it's like, no, the doctors in America prescribe plenty enough pills to, mm-hmm. to kill our people. Yeah. Uh, so our, our, the, the drugs in this country are homegrown, yeah. and they're given out by professionals. Yeah. But nobody wants to turn and, and look at that. It's, yeah. uh, it's, you know, the believability that, you know, people make this choice to become addicts and be homeless and go into prostitution. It's just all that is is a, a way that people can sleep at night and, and not have to worry about things. Yeah. Instead of doing the opposite, which would be to educate themselves and to recognize, oh, wait a minute, this isn't just the individual's problem. This is a societal problem. And until we create a different society, Mm -hmm. then people are going to continue to be broken, lost and, you know, and in in harm's way, you know, so. Well, Jillian, I have always loved being your friend (laughs) and walking alongside you in ministry. And it's been amazing just to sit here and share you with the world. Thank you. Thank you. So everybody check out createdwomen.com and learn more about what you can do to make a difference. And if you don't, we will hunt you down and (laughs) hurt you. Have a great day. Peace. (laughs)